Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 72 of Inside AgriTurf. Now most of us love our sports. Turn up to a match or turn on the TV and we also marvel at the visual quality of the playing surface and the pleasure of seeing top class sport played on an immaculate stage. Those responsible, the ground staff, I like to think of as the stage managers, on a par with their counterparts in the theatre. And it's all about presentation and playability. Now we all know how sport and recreation is good for the body, mind and general well-being. Away from the professional game, participants engage with sport for different reasons. They might have sporting ambitions or wish to simply emulate their sporting heroes. They may simply want the exercise, the camaraderie, the sociability, the feel-good factor. But they also want to play on grounds, pitches or courts that are safe and of a quality comparable with those in elite sport, that they are safe and provide a fair contest for the players and spectators. So that's the challenge for those responsible for the recreational game, for community sport. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Jason Booth, a former grounds manager for Leeds Rugby at Headingley, but who now has a senior role with the Grounds Management Association, the GMA, which many of you will know formally as the Institute of Groundsmanship, the IOG. One of Jason's principal responsibilities is the Cross Sport Pitch Advisory Service, the PAS, which has a remit to continually improve sporting facilities across the recreational game. So Jason, welcome. But first, um, how did you first get involved in turf management? What's your background? Where I really started is that I was uh, fortunate enough to get a YTSU training scheme, remember those, at uh, Yorkshire Country Cricket Club. As a cricketer when I was 16. So yeah. uh, I went there and part of that youth training scheme was that you had to work in every department within that organisation that you were working for. And one of the departments, of course, was the, was, was the ground staff. And uh, that's that what that's when I met the person that changed my life forever. And that's Keith Boyce. He became a mentor, their groundsman at, uh, at uh, Yorkshire County Cricket Club and uh, Leeds Rugby. He, he changed my life. He taught me life skills. I, I just fell in love from the from the first day that we worked on the grounds. I just thought, oh, this is me. This is brilliant. This is outside. You know what I mean? Fresh air. You know what I mean? The physical part to, to, to a job. And as I progressed through my YTS and, and, I, and then progressed to the Yorkshire County Cricket Club Academy, they allowed me to work two days on the ground and three days as a, as a cricketer. Uh, which I was lucky to do. So I was a, uh, cut long story short, I was a professional cricketer for a very short space of time, probably three years, which uh, encompassed a, a winter playing in Australia as well uh, for Adelaide Cricket Club. And then when I came back and I got released, uh, subsequently got released by Yorkshire, I went straight onto the ground under Keith's wing. And uh, I, I worked there for a number of years and then worked at Bradford Park Avenue as well, which was one of the outgrounds. And then disappeared for a little bit uh, out of out of the grounds industry, but always doing it at local cricket clubs because uh, I've always been a player. So I was whichever club I played for, I usually looked after the ground. So I, I did, so I stayed in there, and it really changed when I was uh, uh, two, year two thousand when I went back to Leeds Rugby as assistant on the rugby side, and then uh, the head groundsman there, uh, Ian Barber, then left to 
Leeds United to Ellen Road. I subsequently took over under Keith's uh, tutelage. He was mentoring me and then took over full time. So I stayed there for the next 14 years and as uh, as a groundsman. So it's great times there. And during those 14 years, that's when I knew that qualifications were going to be really important for me to be able to advance in the industry. And at 30, as I said, I uh, undertook the foundation degree at Ask and Brian College and, and I put all my uh, apprentices as uh, apprentices and uh, uh, workers through any co- uh, training courses through either Ask and Brian or as was the IOG and is now the GMA. Uh, and uh, you, as you say, you are now part of the uh, Grounds Management Association, previously the IOG. And your current role is is a COO, which um, I understand is really responsible for technical learning and member services. Is that sort of generally summed up, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Chief Operating Officer. I'm lucky enough to hold that position uh, at an organisation like the uh, GMA. And I'm responsible for, as you said, the, the membership, technical and learning, which is a uh, learning department, and also the nas- any national governing body initiative, such as uh, Pitch Advisory Service. It is a pitch advisory service I'd like to particularly talk to you about today uh, because it obviously has a, a very important role. This, this is a pitch advisory service. It was originally something like the natural grass. Was it the grounds and natural grass improvement program? Was was that yeah. correct? Yeah, it's a long a long title. Yeah, it doesn't trip off the to tongue, do does it? it? Uh, grounds and natural turf improvement program. Yes, Gantip for short is. Uh, <laughs> We shortened it to not a great uh, acronym, but yes, it was. It, it started in 2014. Your uh, initiative driven, actually, it, it actually started. If we're being honest, probably five or six years beforehand, because the IOG, as was then, uh, now the GMA, as we say, started this initiative a little bit of a pilot with the the ECB, and they had four or five uh, uh, pitch advisors around the country, and they started that pilot, which actually led into what we call the Grounds and Natural Turf Improvement Programme, we now call the Pitch Advisory Service. So they've actually done a pilot and done it very successfully in cricket for four or five years at least before uh, that, that programme started, where the other sports then started to come in. Uh, would it be true to say then, uh, Jason, that uh, the, the PSA, PA, PAS or rather, is generally responsible for the community game, uh, recreational game. Um, and how would you generally define that? Is there is it, is it pitches and grounds that are used for competitive sport, um, a formal competitive sport? I mean, because obviously there's a little open ground where kids pl- play football on and so on. Um, but it, does it have a definition of its role? Yeah, it, it comes under the umbrella of participation, first and foremost. And it, it, it's dependent on each sport's priority clubs. So each sport's have, have got a priority level. It's it, it predominantly and uh, 95% very much around the grassroots and recreational level, yes. Uh, but from time to time, each sport does have an initiative uh, where it encompasses maybe the, an higher level. Uh, it's dependent on what the aims and objectives are for that particular national governing body. So it can vary. So uh, I'll give you an example is that... Uh, Rugby League will focus on the National Conference League because that's their priority level. Uh, and then uh, cricket will focus very much on the recreational level, full stop. And very rarely will we step into the uh, professional or higher levels than that, or the Premier Leagues. But we will do from time to time. So it can vary from sport to sport, and it, it does tend to vary. The one thing about the uh, the programme, it never stands to, we do have a chuckle about it, because there's always, you could you could set out one year with one aim and objectives, and then by halfway through the year, something else has come left field, whether that's, it could be... Uh, 
could be floods uh, or could be emergencies. Uh, but there's always something that keeps you interested and keeps you uh, on your toes uh, when it yeah. comes to the programme. But predominantly uh, grassroots and recreational. And do schools, school pitches come under its remit? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's dependent on what the national governing body uh, encompasses whether they're a private priority league and whether any of those clubs utilise those facilities. It's it's depending on who's utilising the facilities. Do do you have any idea? Is there any indication within the uh, PAS of of the amount of pitches in the UK which comes under its control? Yeah, I mean yeah. must, that must be a definitely tricky number to try and get at. It, it, it is, it is, it is. Uh, it, uh, according to Sport England's uh, data gathering, there's 75,000 sports pitches, but that includes pitches such as American football, uh, rounders, and, and all the other sports that we probably wouldn't talk about. But don't forget, a lot of facilities are multi-use as well, so they may have football and rugby pitches on them, but might, may, may also back up and double up as uh, rugby pitches or, uh, or football pictures or, or rounders pitches. You've given me your background within cricket, and I understand that you're still heavily involved in cricket. As um, am I right? As your captain of uh, it's the Barnsley Woolly Miners Cricket Club. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. Well, is that the is that from the old Barnsley Cricket Club? It is. It is. It, yeah. It's the it's the it's the cricket club that Jeffrey Boycott played for. Uh, Michael Parkinson played for. Dickie Bird played yeah. for. And, and latterly, Darren Goff and Gary Ballance played for and went on and represented England. So it's quite got a rich history. And I'm lucky enough to be the cricket chairman as well, uh, uh. which I took up the post in probably in, in March, April this year. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still first team captain in the ECB Premier League. Uh, it's probably my last year, Chris, uh, <laughs> to be playing uh, Premier League cricket at nearly 50. I think I've done really well. So I'll hand that mantle over to somebody else and I'll probably help out wherever wherever the club sees fit. The club's given me far more than I can ever give it back. And oh. I'll continue just to help and assist as much as I can. So really, you're able to, to give a, a, a quite a, a good microcosm, if you use your club rather as a microcosm, a, a, about the a number of people in, involved. I mean, I guess going back, you would have run three, four, even five teams, youth teams. Um, the the structure is changing because you've got perhaps more than youth cricket and you, you've almost certainly got more women's cricket now. But are you finding it difficult to raise teams and raise volunteers these days? So we, we put four, we put four teams out uh, uh, to play. So four senior teams, and we struggle from week to week. Uh, we can have up to ten to fifteen people missing each week. Uh, so it is a struggle, and I, people have got other things now than we used to be. Play if if you played sports at all, you played football in the winter or rugby, and then cricket in the summer. People, are, and you've got more occasional players now rather than people that will commit for a full season. So that's one thing you've got to cope with. That's why you need an extra 10, 15 people within the club. So we put uh, four senior teams out and it is difficult to get those senior teams out. Volunteer-wise, I don't think it's so much of a problem. As long as you can identify, Chris, what you want them to volunteer and, and, and how much time they have to give up. So if you want somebody to go and sit on a cricket roller for an hour... There'll be a lot of people put their hands up to be yeah. able to do that. I've got an hour spare, or I'm 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 going up to training to watch my youngster. I'll jump on the roller for you. I think the volunteering side, I think, is 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 not an issue. It's actually explaining to them what you want them to volunteer for and how much time it would be. I think one of the things where our program, Gantip as it was now PAS, failed in the early years is that we we're identifying volunteering positions, but we weren't identifying how long it would take. So. We should have said that 
are you available to volunteer to put the football nets up? It will take you 30 minutes. You know what I mean? If individuals and parents knew that it would take 30 minutes, the sort of volunteering, oh, I haven't got enough time. If they knew it was 30 minutes, I think that we're finding that a lot of people have got time. So identifying for each task how long it would take, it makes it easier for people to uh, commit to uh, volunteering. Yes, and I, and I guess it is one way of, of ex-players, and you, you've suggested that you might become an ex-player soon, of staying in touch with the club that uh, they've been involved with for so, so many years. Yeah, yeah. I think I've always been somebody that uh, likes to give back uh, and, and likes to help out. And I get I get fulfilment from from doing that and joy from doing that and pleasure from doing that. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think that there's always a role within a sports club or if you're playing a sports club that where extra help and assistance is needed. And it's not always outside. It's not always uh, the practical side. It might be some administration, for instance. You know what I mean? Maybe running, we've got a club app just running the club up and because it all takes time and then if pe- more people can just like ask i think there's volunteers ask is there any jobs that need doing and I'm, I'm willing to do this i think you will find that there's a lot more jobs than you think because you may turn up as a parent or a player and just see what you see on a saturday or a sunday or midweek at training there's actually a lot more tasks behind the behind closed doors that you're not aware of that you could maybe potentially help out with so, so there obviously are, are there are changing trends. Uh, I think the rugby, the RFU have just recognised this by flattening their national league, recognising that participation is is falling off in some areas, and and to make it easier. And I think this is reflected in other sports, isn't it, uh, Jason? Yeah, well, if you go back, it's, it's not long ago. I think it's five or six years where the ECB uh, changed a lot of their league structures as well. So what, what, going back to my particular bars, we used to play in the Yorkshire League, which used to travel to as far as, as Scarborough. Uh, on, a, on a Saturday. Uh, th- then they regionalised it because they, they did countless surveys and the, the major feedback was it's taking too long to travel. So they regionalised it. So now we play in the south, so we no longer venture into the north. And the longest trip we have at the minute is, is Cleethorpe, but that's an anomaly, really, an hour and 15, hour and a half. But the, the rest of the journey is a 20, 30 minutes yeah. uh, max. And I think... Uh, a lot of it's got to do with lifestyle, lifestyle changes. And I think we've got to adapt to that. And I think the, the national governing bodies of sport are aware of it. They're adapting. That's one example I, I, I told you with the ECB and you gave me one example with the RFU. And I think that when it comes to funding as well, I think what we've been able to do through the programme is change the national governing bodies' thought processes on, on, on funding and how they fund clubs to be able to produce the facilities that's now increasing in capacity. So whilst we, we, we talk about the reduction in, uh, in, in in participation, shall we say, but whilst it may be falling off in the traditional areas, such as senior men, there's a lot more now areas such as girls and women and disability that's now coming on. So we, in effect, it's actually use and capacities needs to go up rather yeah. than... Uh, and, that, and that's really good to see, isn't it? It is. It's fantastic. And uh, and I think that sport, just like everything, should be for everybody. And yeah. why it's taken us so long to recognise this and, uh, and identify this, I, I don't know. But I think it's a changing world now. And I think that people are more open to more things. And I think we're seeing that now in, in sport and, 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 and how sport covers all, all, all backgrounds.
And if we look at the uh, pitch advisory service itself, it uh, it encompasses um, cricket um, through the ECB, football, presumably through the FA, the, the RFU, the rugby, and rugby league. And then its main role is to uh, support clubs. How do clubs actually access any help from the PS PAS? I should get it right soon. Yeah. <laughs> but now, uh, to be, uh, just going back to what you said, it's actually football is run through the Football Foundation right. uh, and the FA. So, uh, so the fund—that's that's where the funding comes from from the fo- football part. It's it's slightly different for every sport. So, the football foundation and and the FA and the football part of it is probably more advanced than the other sports in their progress and their funding uh, uh, setup. So, basically, they've got—I don't know whether you're aware of the Pitch Power app. So, uh, local clubs can access an app. They can do a self-assessment of their of their facility, which gets straight sent straight through to a dashboard where the regional pitch advisors then do a remote assessment. They can then follow up with a site assessment if required. But nine times out of ten, they've got enough information because it's it's just a good app that's set up where they can actually identify if uh, what issues they've got and what funding is required. Then they they can put in a, an application for funding. And then that goes through the funding process, and that's 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 really quickened up from the old-fashioned approach uh, of funding. And in the turnaround now is 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 very quick. So the report uh, from this after the self-assessment is done within 21 to 28 days, and then after that the funding comes almost immediately off the back of that. So clubs can get funding for uh, uh, maintenance which was never ne- never done before until this program identified that maintenance was one of the key issues around uh, around quality of, of pictures and they can get funding for uh, machinery as well and, and major works but more importantly they can also get funding for uh, training so volunteers can go training through the GMA so it's actually just squaring up that circle completing that circle shall we say of uh, of holistic assistance to be able to improve the pitch and one of the key things that we talk about with the national governing bodies of sport is keeping that sustainable. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just a one-off where we improve the pitch over 12 months. It's actually we want to improve the pitch continuously and yes. or, or, or get it to a good standard and then maintain it at the good standard. So we're looking at what other areas now we need to uh, provide the club, the volunteer, the organisation with to be able to make uh, them to sustain it. So it may be GMA membership with uh, with specific grassroots assistance in in there. So, so that's one of the things that we're looking at as the next step. But it's very much about the sustainable part of that. And, and then talk about the other sports now, the, the access that they're slightly different. Uh, yeah. It may be that the NGB dictates and will target clubs in, in other sports. Like I mentioned earlier, the National Conference League is a key one for rugby league and they will go through the National Conference League. Uh, so the, the programme will go to them. Uh, but where, where football's concerned, the, the, the clubs uh, are allowed to come to uh, the, the national governing body for, uh, for, for support. We are the PAS, uh, all employed by the GMA, are the delivery mechanism for that. So whatever each sport wants as regards their aims and objectives, we look at, we talk and work with them, and then we deliver that aspect of that for that national governing body. So, so clubs have a, um, a readily accessible point of contact and they've got a helping hand, which uh, may be practical, but at least it, it, it gives them an idea of, of, of some of the issues that they need to deal with themselves. And if no need be, uh, call in your guys um, to, to, to help. Um, tell me, does, um, 
is it have responsibility? We talk about grass, but does have responsibility for uh, hybrid pitches, which are obviously becoming more, more uh, not so much in the recreational ga- game, uh, admittedly, uh, and artificial surfaces. Does it matter what surface the sports are played on? No, it doesn't. To be fair, is that each uh, each sport will have uh, some aspect of hybrid or, or artificial. So we do work with the national governing body, uh, each specific national governing body on on, on those, uh, and it can be. And we work very closely with Sport England as well, who have got a, a range of pilots currently running on hybrid pitches. And as we know, they've they've got a lot of artificial stroke synthetic, and so have the RFU as well, and so have football. So we do venture into that area depending on what those who those uh, surfaces are servicing so if it's the communicate community game or recreational game irrespective of what surface uh the program will get involved and, and and what would you how would you sum up its its main role is it is education uh jason safety obviously is is a prime importance but in in sport um funding and availability of funding and and, and so on um are those areas all equally important or is there one overriding quality that you would uh, say that pas has, should have well i th- i think if we go back to the beginning 2014 Chris, to, to be able to answer this question, is that there was no data collected on the uh, quality of any pitches for any sport. So we knew the number through active places. That's been around for a long time. But nobody knew the quality. So one of the things that we set out to do and I set out to do was actually to get a benchmark because until you know the quality of a surface, you don't know whether it needs improving or, or not improving or, or what it needs to improve. So that was really important for us. So we started data collecting on every visit. So we'd do a mini uh, performance quality standards test, uh, PQS, uh, and, and we'd get a benchmark of where the the uh, re- relevant level of club or organisation or pitches, with, with what they were measuring at. And then we could identify the key themes that kept coming through. So, for instance, key themes that kept coming through in football was uh, a lot of pitches were compacted. And we knew that anecdotally. Us within the industry can walk on a pitch. We know that the problem is the grass is too long on a local authority pitch. It's compacted, it's rock hard. We know that. But the people that we were trying to get funding from who are sat behind a desk within national governing bodies and need to sign this off, work with numbers. They work with business cases. So we had to provide a business case, a report with numbers so they could see the key issues. And we were very successful in that. So the first programme of uh, Gowns and Natural Turf Improvement Programme, shall we say, was a £1.2 million investment uh, in the programme. We were able to, we were so successful that the next programme became £2.3 million. And then this one's nearly four million pounds. So all along the way, we, we're getting so much success is that we, the, 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 the governing bodies are wanting to invest more and more in. And that back, goes back to the data collection and, and the, that, we, that we're doing so we can see the improvements. We, we know that 86% of the pictures that we've assessed have improved in the last eight years which is quite significant. We know the key themes of improvement. We know that upskilling the volunteer is a great success. We can put numbers alongside that. So I think the success of the programme uh, and the key things about the programme is about upskilling, educating and making sure that the people that are funding grassroots clubs, that the funding is going into the right areas because we came across a lot of issues where at the beginning of the programme, clubs would get a lot of funding. They get seventy, eighty thousand pounds £80,000 on a drainage system because they had 10, 12 games 
cancelled, which the, the, the drainage system was befitting of a Premier League football club, which the management of that afterwards is going to cost and going to take great expertise. And within 18 months, they were back to square one. So the drainage uh, systems now have got have drastically reduced, but the funding has gone into the correct area. So we were able to identify, as an example, if they uh, deep spiked uh, or aerated their uh, their pictures three times a year, those 12 cancelled games become one or two. Straight away for a, a significantly less amount of money, they could get their games on. So it's the expertise that the GMA bring and the RPAs bring uh, which has never been there before. So it's like a middleman between the volunteer and the agronomist and the funder. But the uh, the, the RPAs are uh, the middleman, the ex- the experts that can go out and advise that actually it's a maintenance problem, not a, not a construction problem or a drainage problem. So, so the more information that you've got, the more data that you've got, the more hard data you've got, Jason, then the chances of receiving not only ongoing funding from the sports bodies, but but hopefully increased spend, spending uh, is more likely to occur. Yeah, and we've been able to prove that. Uh, we, we've proved that and, and we continue to prove, prove that. And this then leads to other ways. So, for instance, we're doing a lot of pilots at the minute on uh, environmental uh, sustainability and innovation. So just in the last year, the, the uh, funding applications have come in for robot mowers, for instance, because we've done the pilots on that and done the research on it and that the actual will be uh, fit well into certain facilities. So one of the things that we'll be looking at in the future is uh, robot line marking, for instance. We'll be doing pilots around that because all these things free up the volunteer to be able to do other things because they're, they're time-consuming tasks for volunteers. So if it's the right facility, we will recommend that a robot mower will, will probably do as good a job as a ride-on mower or a pedestrian mower. It, it just depends that what that facility is trying to achieve. And each facility and organisation trying to achieve different things. So... For instance, one football club might, all we want to do is play 45 games a season on. Another one might say that we're trying to get 100 games a season with four different teams on it. So it's different advice that we'll give along the way for them to be able to achieve that. And and I guess, um, however well you manage your programme and manage and make plans for the future, uh, there's always things that come out of left field, aren't there? And I guess the left field is, is generally the weather. And uh, we, we remember, what was it, four or five years ago when we had huge floods and there were pictures of, of, of cricket pitches uh, well underwater and, and so on. I mean, that's still an issue that's likely to come up and receive your attention, presumably. Yeah, that's the area that we've been more successful in, Chris. Uh, our emergency response has been absolutely fantastic. And it's usually led by Ian Mather Brewster, who's uh, the key account manager for cricket. He has vast experience in this because he was one of the original uh, regional pitch advisors that I talked about from the ECB prior to any uh, wider national governing uh, body programme. So I've been with the IOG GMA for, for a number of years. And uh, we continually get great success. We don't like to see it, but our response and the way that we respond and the advice that's given, led by Ian across the sports, really, because he sets the benchmark, it, it has been fantastic. It's enabled, it's enabled clubs to get back on their feet after quite debilitating floods. And uh, uh, and, and also, it's a, it's a shock. I think I remember one facility, I think, way up north, they'd just completed their brand-new uh, pavilion, and within weeks, it had been decimated by floods and, and, the, and the grounds, and, and, and they were distraught. But to be able to actually... Uh, go up 
and and, and say to them, don't worry, we'll get this back for you, is, is really comforting for a club. And me working in the club that I work now, for somebody to come and say, like, don't worry, you'll be okay, you'll be playing within eight weeks. Is, you know what I mean? Because a lot of a lot of focus and a lot of the, the income around the club depends on that club being able to play cricket uh, and spectators and families and people be able to come. So that's the one thing, the biggest thing I'm proud of, the emergency response across all sports that we've been able to do over the years has been very successful. And um, we know that in cricket particularly, the ECB have got their, their pitch inspectors for the professional game, but obviously it also impacts. I mean, there was a recent case uh, in the Southern Premier League when uh, at, at Bournemouth, when a game was abandoned early in the season as being unsafe. Is that the sort of case that you, your pitch inspectors would or advisors would get involved in? Yeah, the structure around cricket, Chris, for, for those that don't know, is that uh, the, 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 so Bournemouth Cricket Club will have a, a local cricket board. Yeah. And attached to that local cricket board will be a cricket pitch advisor, which is a, a, a local groundsman or grounds, grounds manager that would uh, that that is trained through uh, the GMA and our program to assist that county cricket board. Some have got two, some some have got one, some have even got three. And that first protocol would be the cricket board. Then the cricket board would engage that cricket pitch advisor. We sit behind and oversee that at, at the top. So Ian Mather Brewster, as as key account manager for cricket, will oversee that umbrella and get involved as and when needed but normally these things are settled at cricket board cricket pitch advisor level uh, and league level so between those three pivots that 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 would have been uh, they would have been assisted that way and that would have been sorted through that process one of the other issues apart from weather is um many of these grounds and pitches are open to the public they're not like a professional uh, club and we do often see uh, vandalism on on cricket grounds and uh, other areas. Is that an area that we you would also get involved in helping the club? Yeah, it, it's, it's it's difficult at times because there is a lot of, especially local authorities. So we work with local authorities, and a lot of their uh, facilities are quite open and open to the public. And it, it could be what we do. We, we we can do processes with the club on how to check a pitch before you play on it. You know how to walk a pitch check for debris and uh, dog fouling and anything else that might be on. So we, we do help the local authorities and the, and the county affairs of the cricket boards in, in being able to assess the pitch before you actually play on it. Uh, but as much uh, as much as you can do, they are open to the public. So you do have challenges from time to time. So there's not really much you can do apart from actually saying, putting in a, a process or a protocol before you actually play on. And if they're open to the public, they're open to the public. You, you, you're continually going to have those challenges. You, you have challenges. We've even seen it where football and cricket's been going on and people are walking the dog straight through the middle of the game. So yes. that happens, Chris, as well. Oh, right. Well, well, down in the New Forest, there's even roads that run through the, the actual outfield. So, uh, yeah. Jason, we've just uh, we're just coming out of of COVID and all the restrictions that that had, and it had a major impact on on sport participation and sports clubs, and on the finances of sports clubs as well, who were used to funding their clubs out of the club bar or raffles and that sort of thing. A lot of that disappeared, uh, and also in terms of your own involvement within the, the GM GMA and the PAS, um, did that actually provide you with? More thinking time on how you get to to people, how how you deliver training, how you deliver advice, and 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 whilst all all the difficulties that it had, has it had some positive um, aspects to it? The pandemic's had a, an effect on everybody, positive, negative, uh, in some way, shape, or form. From a GMA point of view, obviously our key event is Soltex, 
and we weren't able to run that for a year so that had a negative impact on us so and also our all our training was uh, face-to-face we very quickly within six months changed the majority of our training from face-to-face to online uh, which was a phenomenal effort from Dan Preston who was our head of technical learning and his team to be able to achieve that assisted by the regional pitch advisors in in, in the pandemic in, in in the rush to get them online and they've been very successful since that so that's that's been a real positive of that and the way that the world's going now it, you know what I mean it was a right right call and the right thing to do subsequently we've been able to get uh, Soltex back on uh, last November uh, which was a very strong Soltex and, and very good Soltex and already uh, going leading up to November this year we 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 were heading for really significant numbers on exhibitors and and hopefully attendees as well so that's been that's been really positive there regards the wider sports and, and within PAS is that we 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 took a step back as 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 you said and looked at how we could better service and we're always we're continually looking at uh, how we can contribute and uh, and assist uh, clubs organizations so we we did a range of webinars on uh, on what you should be doing through the pandemic we did a range of uh, technical documents of which i think 14000 people accessed uh, these technical documents for each individual sport and what you can what you should be doing through the pandemic what you can do while there's no play on there so basically keep the pitches ticking over uh, uh, so we gave advice and and, and guidance and information on uh, on that, and we also worked with local authorities that, and we we did a we call them risk assessment register. So we we uh, surveyed all local authorities uh, on what uh, whether they got reduced staff, uh, reduced maintenance because so much sport is played on local authority facilities. We wanted to ensure that they got the help and assistance through the NGBs and ourselves to be able to actually carry on maintaining facilities and, open, and make sure that facilities were ready to be come back in play when uh, when we came out of the pandemic or were really able to play. So it was really important that we engage with, with those as well. So we took, an, shall we say, a bird's eye view of the programme uh, and the organisation as a whole. Uh, so GMA first and foremost were very much around Soltex and, and, and training online training, and then the PAS program was very much around local authorities and then assisting volunteers in in, in the short term during the pandemic on on what they should be doing with their facilities. So a lot of work went into around that, which made it easier for sports then to start playing. So that it made it very easy now then for the sports to come back. And start playing because majority of the work had been done. The pitch has been ticking over. The volunteers got all the access to the help and assistance and information that they needed to be able to make that happen. There, there was a general perception amongst uh, or thought that um, when you mentioned the word groundsman or groundsperson um, to the man in the street, shall I say, uh, their image is one of uh, somebody with painting a white line and um, handing a fork forking a pitch uh, do you find that um when you work with the volunteers now and you you impart more knowledge about turf care and the way it's the way it works the soil and so on uh, jason that there's a greater understanding of what's involved in the profession yeah there's a great understanding outside our industry as well we uh, we had an initiative called grounds for sport the gma uh, which we've been running to make uh, make people raise awareness both in the industry but more importantly outside the industry and we've had great success with that and people understanding what a grounds manager does uh, whereas uh, the percentages were very low when we did the initial survey whilst it's it's low progress uh, the four or five percent 
more people now uh, can understand what a grounds manager does. And uh, within the industry and, and, and to the volunteers, and uh, you, you're talking to some of those people that are outside that industry as well that are coming as volunteers. And then ne- they, never, they never knew what went into producing that pitch. The work that uh, that went into producing that pitch, they'd turn up with it either as a player or as a parent and they'd just see the facility and play on it and then go home. And I think a lot of the volunteers that are doing it for the first time are fascinated by the role of, and some have got really into it uh, and, and seen it as a vocation as well. So uh, it's really important. It's been really important to make sure that actually when we do visit these facilities, we're not there to criticise. We're there to assist and help and support. In the early days, when we first started this, they thought we we're going to tell go, uh, the RPAs were going to tell them what's wrong and, and why they're doing it wrong. It's actually when they realise very quickly we're there to support. You get a lot of uh, joined up thinking and a lot of uh, a willingness to, to to get involved, participate, and and and, and pick up things and. Added to that, the whole package of being able to get access to training courses and, and upskill themselves and funding off the back of it, it we, we're now starting to see the, the the volunteer and the sports it, very much around grounds management and grounds maintenance take off. It, it's, it's, it's really, I, I, I can't think, I'll be honest with you, Chris, I can't think of any negativity that we've had in the last five years of the programme of visits of all people have ever done is, is, is praise the assistance that we've got. And um, do, do you think that the industry uh, could do more in, in this area of educating the, the general public? And one of the best initiatives that I, I came across was actually in Australia um, at the SCG in Sydney, uh, where they have a program called Breakfast with the Curator, Groundsman. And this is always oversubscribed by the members. And I think on the third day, they have a they have a, a bun and a cup of coffee. And then he takes them out to the square, shows them what where has taken place and, and how he's managing it, um, what the build up to the match was and so on and so forth. And there really, really was a huge I went to one of these and there really was a huge appetite by the general public or the members there on, on, on knowing what happened behind the mower or, or head of the mower or on the roller and so on. Um, so presumably there's always an ongoing education education job uh, Jason yeah yeah and I think if you utilize the major stadiums where uh, Joe public are very interested in going out walking out in on the middle of Lords or Wembley or Twickenham uh, use use each spot could use that and uh, in a similar fashion I think we've started that progress through grounds week the GMA's grounds week which has been very successful for the last two years and we, we're reaching millions now not only in our country but across you know, across the world. And I think uh, we've had so much international interaction off the back of Grounds Week. And I think it's just raising that awareness and there's there's several ways to do it. I think as an industry, which is your question, I, I think that we could be a friendlier bunch at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are there to prepare pictures for people to play on. As long as they show us respect in uh, and those respect us maintaining them. The old-fashioned uh, image of, as you said, uh, cut grass, paint white lines, overalls, old, old uh, white, grey hair is, uh, is is very much gone now. It's very much gone. And the technology that goes into the knowledge and expertise that goes into it, what I would say to the industry is expose that knowledge that you're doing day in, day out to your line managers, to your stadium managers, to your board of directors, to your club chairman, uh, club administration. You know, Communicate what you're doing on a day-to-day basis because the biggest factor uh, to making people understand and realise what a skilled job and a great job it is, is communication. So if you communicate, and, and, and there's no one hard and fast rule to communicate because 
Some people might like to be shown. Some people might like a PowerPoint. Some people might like to get down on the hands and knees. It's, it's but communicate to the relevant people within your club, and then the message will spread very quickly uh, on what what a great job people are doing. And you'll probably lead to more uh, volunteers, uh, people volunteering anyway as well. So and, yeah, and it's, did, a, it's, a, it's an holistic approach by the industry to actually open up and communicate. Don't don't keep hidden. Go and tell people what you're doing and how well you're doing it. And of course, there, there are so many success stories of of, of um, people, grants managers working in the industry who started, well, like yourself in YTS and uh, have risen to senior positions yourself. And uh, Paul Burgess, of course, uh, who started as, a, I guess, as a YTS, but certainly as an apprentice uh, and then, then, then spent his uh, recent years at Real Madrid. And, and there are many other stories like that. So uh, presumably there's still a lot of work to do in, in getting that across as a career opportunity within the grounds industry. Yeah, I think one of the, the one of the things that we've lacked as an industry is that clear career path. What we'll be launching at the GMA in the next six to 12 months is something called the Grounds Management Framework, which will identify a clear career path for anybody leaving school up to uh, uh, Right, right to the elite level, as you, as you talk about, such as uh, Paul Burgess, etc. And it'll tell you what qualifications, training, education you will need at each level to produce what level of uh, playing facility, whether that's football, cricket, rugby league, rugby union, uh, bowls, and any sport. So it'll encompass, like I said, training and education uh, all the way through and the levels and, and, and CPD needed at each level as well. So it'll be clear, concise approach for anybody working in the industry they'll have a clear career uh, path and also people employers in the industry will have a clear uh, identification of what's required for their facility and within their workforce well look jason i've really enjoyed this this insight into the gma and and the the pas what what do you what do you think are your main challenges uh, over the 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 coming years Is, is it more of the same more data more information i think uh from an industry point of view, we've uh, we got our new strategy signed off in, in, in March by the GMA board, which will be uh, announced in, in the coming months. And very much at the heart of that is industry workforce development. We do know that the, we, we've got a, an issue around uh, an older age group coming towards retirement in the professional game and also getting more younger people into the industry. We're aware of that. We're aware of salaries as well. And, and staff welfare uh, and mental health. It, it, so these are the key areas that we'll be focusing on. Environmental sustainability as well uh, are the key areas for the GMA and that we'll be focusing on along a range of other things that uh, are challenges within the industry. And we'll, we'll, we'll pick up that fight for the industry on behalf of the industry, uh, as you'll see in the announcements that will come in the next few months. And then from a PAS point of view, it's... It's getting the other sports, such as rugby league, rugby union, and uh, cricket, to the level of uh, where football are at the minute. They're quite advanced. They're not far behind. They will be joining the app that I, the Pitch Power app that I talked about earlier. Those sports will be joining that, so it'll become a consistent approach across the sports. Also, sports such as bowls, tennis, croquet, as well. We, they're not forgotten, and we're working with Sports England to see how we can support those other sports as well going forward because we've now got a tried and tested model when it comes to PAS and we've got a great success rate as I said earlier nearly 90% of pictures that we we, we visit we we assess, we assess and we advise on uh, are improving so and the target for football for instance is to have 20,000 pictures at a good standard within within 10 years we're well on target for that we're, we're well over five six thousand already 
Yeah, so it's a definite objective to bring uh, some of those other sports, as you say, like tennis and bowls and, and, and so on, into the scope of PAS, is it? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we've not forgotten about them. We work with them, we talk to them already. So there'll be little bits of helps and assistance and guidance through Sport England uh, and ourselves. So we, we continue to work with them. And then we can see, we, we're currently looking to see how we can potentially bring them onto a programme yeah. as well. So talks continue and hopefully in the next phase, which is 20, 2024 onwards, you, you, you could potentially see more sports and more regional pitch advisors uh, being involved in the programme. Well, that, that's excellent. Well, look, thank you once again, uh, Jason, for your time today. Uh, the, 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 this industry, the grounds industry, has some amazing role models with, with wonderful tales to tell and, and, and are well uh, versed in actually telling them. There's some good communicators within it. And I think the more we expose those to public view, I think the, the better. But, um, and I'm sure that would be part of your thing. So can I, can I thank you very much today for your time and, and wish you well with the, the GMA, the Sortet Show coming up in November and, and also the work of the PAS. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Chris. And thanks for having me on this morning. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. So fascinating stuff. Uh, and what a job the Pitch Advisory Service has on its hands. But it's good to see that they have so much more quantifiable data now compared with a few years ago and that they see a definite trend emerging of ever-improving facilities for those engaged in recreational community sport. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside AgriTurf. <laughs>